0: your kids. Do what I say. Here we go. You're completing it already. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. So why is that? Why don't you want your kids to imitate you? I was thinking up some examples of our kids, but um, for all the things they do that they imitate, imitate my wife, I mean, she would just be too embarrassed. So... Um, But, yeah, we're not perfect examples, are we? So we don't want our kids to imitate us. We always, well, always, often know the right things to do. So we say to our kids, this is what you should do. But do we do those things? We don't. So often my kids do something and I tell them, have I not told you 20 times not to do that? And then they say, but daddy, you do that. Okay, well then, checkmate. Can't really say anything to that. <laughs> Bad daddy. Imitation. So imitation is not a good thing, I think, in this day and age. It, hasn't, it doesn't have a great connotation. Imitation speaks of fake um, phony, cheap. I've got a real iPhone charger, costs hundreds of rands, charges my iPhone in 10 minutes. Then there's the imitation iPhone charger I bought for 20 rand, and it takes like seven hours to charge my iPhone, up to 5%. Doesn't really work that well. Imitation, it's not great. Nobody wants to be a cheap, fake imitation. However the Bible tells us otherwise, it tells us that imitation is something we need to strive for. It's a good and a noble thing to imitate. There are 12 verses in the New Testament where we are called to imitate or be imitators. So let's look at one scripture in particular where Paul calls us to be imitators. Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So going back to that example I used where we don't want our children to imitate us because we are not perfect examples. We as children of God are called to imitate God. Why? Because he is a perfect example. He doesn't have double standards like we do. He doesn't tell us to do stuff and then he doesn't do it. He holds himself to his own standards always. So God is a perfect father and a perfect example. And we are called to imitate God. So, how is it How are we able to imitate God? We are finite humans, and God is infinite, majestic, beyond our understanding. So for us to imitate anybody, we would first need to know a little bit about that person. We would need to know what they do, how they do it. Otherwise, we can't say that we imitate them. So how do we know God? Do we know God? I hope we do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you do know God. Um, But how do we get to know God through scripture? So God tells us a lot of things about himself. So in a particular scripture that we're going to read this morning, God tells us, In his own words, well, he actually tells Moses, but fast forward so many thousands of years, he tells us, in his own words, about himself. And we find that in Exodus 34, verse 6. So this is the Lord speaking to Moses when he hands him the clay tablets with the Ten Commandments. And God says to Moses about himself, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So this is God saying something about his own characteristics, about himself. So on a second-hand eyewitness account, this is God revealing himself. To Moses and to us so we see five characteristics about God in this scripture merciful the God, a God merciful gracious slow to anger God abounds in steadfast love four And God is faithful. Number five. So we've got a list of five things that we can imitate from God. Doesn't sound so bad, right? Five steps to success? Sounds like you need to write a book. So let's have a look at each one of these points in a little bit more detail. So let's start with mercy, merciful, number one. The Hebrew word could also mean compassionate. So merciful or compassionate. In Psalm 51 verse 1, David writes, Psalm 51 verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your Abundant mercy blot out my transgressions, forgive my sins, forgive my trespasses, forgive everything that I have done to you out of your abundant mercy or compassion. So it is because of God's mercy to us that He forgives us everything, He forgives us all all the offenses we cause against him all the trespasses all the sins because of his great mercy Jesus personified God's compassion and mercy we read this in a great number of scriptures I'm only going to highlight two first is Mark 6 verse 34 Mark 6 verse 34 when he that is Jesus When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So, Jesus has compassion over the spiritual condition of us, of humans. He has compassion on us. He had compassion on them because spiritually, They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. He began to help them because he had compassion. Next verse, Matthew 20, verse 34. Matthew 20, verse 34. And Jesus, in pity, in compassion, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. So Jesus walked by, there was a number of blind beggars, and he had compassion on them. My version, it's also the ESV, but this is an older ESV translation. It says, um, so Jesus had compassion on them. Just substitute pity with compassion. It's the same root word. So Jesus also has compassion on us when we suffer physically. So these guys were blind. They were begging him to help them. And he had compassion on them. His heart broke for them. And he healed them. God had compassion on us when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So that we could be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him. That is God's mercy and compassion for all of us. personal application do you imitate God's merciful compassionate character each one of you ask this is questions you need to ask yourself so write them down pray about them do you imitate God's merciful compassionate character Do you have compassion on those around you who may be suffering, either spiritually or physically? Do you burden for God's people in prayer? When you see somebody suffer, what do you do? Ignore them? Somebody else's problem? Maybe you are unable to physically help, but you can surely pray. you forgive those who have wronged you, who have sinned against you, just as God forgives us in Jesus every day. Point number two. Are you keeping time? William, Shall I talk faster? Okay, let me go. Grace, okay. Point number two is grace. Um, I'm, I'm going to speed it up. Like YouTube video, Um, (laughs) 1.5. I can see who watches YouTube videos on 1.5 speed to just get through it quicker. eh? Um, Number two, grace. God's grace. God's grace is actually all around us. If we open our eyes and we ask the Lord, we will see His grace in everything. Every little thing around you Everything you have, everything is God's grace. God's grace sustains us every day. God's grace sustains the universe, the Bible says. It is by God's grace that the planets hang in their places in space and goes in their orbits. God's grace is in and on his entire creation. The New Testament tells us That Jesus is God's grace become flesh. John 1 verse 14. John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh. That is Jesus became flesh and walked this earth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace towards us. Now this is an amazing scripture. Well, I thought so. I'm pretty sure I've read this many times before, but it's never stood out for me until now, which is the next one, Isaiah. Just look at this is the first part therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you who has ever seen that verse who has ever seen or who knows that the Lord is waiting to be gracious to you he's waiting to lavish his grace on you his eyes are roaming the earth looking for opportunities to show you grace My mind was blown when I read that verse. Super awesome. God delights in showing grace for opportunities. Who of us likes to receive grace? Do we extend grace in equal measure? not so many hands now my hand is also not up it is only because of God's grace that we are saved from sin and that we are called his children he extends his grace to us when we are holy and totally undeserving so God's grace must be our measuring stick the amount of grace I receive from God is the amount of grace I need to extend. Can I get an amen? Difficult, but isn't that true? The amount of grace that I receive from God is the amount of grace I need to extend. I mustn't extend the grace that somebody else deserves for who determines what a person deserves is it by my yardstick is it by my judgment personal application for grace do you imitate God's gracious character Do you look for opportunities to extend grace to people? Do you extend grace as freely and in the same measure as you have received it? Let's face it, we have received immeasurable bucket and bucket loads of grace from God and we didn't deserve any of it we didn't deserve for Jesus to die for us but yet he did do you extend grace to those who by earthly standards by your standards by everybody around you's standards don't deserve grace you know how it goes for some people you know, everybody around you will totally agree that that person doesn't deserve grace. Cause he messed up too many times. But we don't extend grace when we get agreement from everybody. We ask God, God, what is the amount of grace you want me to extend in this situation? slow to anger in Hebrew could also mean long suffering or patient now this characteristic of God goes hand in hand with his graciousness because he is full of grace he doesn't anger easily he is slow to anger he is patient with us he is long suffering with us Somewhere I read this, and it was also quite a cool thought. God is on a rescue mission. He's not out on a mission to kill us. We're not the enemy, and He's sending His troops out to kill us and destroy us. God is on a rescue mission. We're all hostages, and He is coming to rescue us. And that is why He sent His Son Jesus so that we could be rescued from our sin, rescued from eternal death, damnation, and destruction, because that is where we're headed if we don't have Jesus. James writes to all of us in James 1 verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We all know that verse every person, all of us don't be hot headed, don't be quick tempered be long suffering, patient and slow to anger okay, some personal application do you imitate God's long suffering and patience are you on a rescue mission to those around you or are you out to judge them Are you ready to show the world what godly long-suffering and patience looks like in the middle of all kinds of bad circumstances? Because we all face life storms and tough situations. But are you ready to demonstrate long-suffering and patience in the middle of those circumstances? Are you slow to anger? Point number four, abounding in steadfast love. In Hebrew, it could also mean kindness. God abounds in steadfast love. He abounds in kindness. In the book of Ruth, we read how Ruth, her husband dies, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, heads back to Israel And Ruth is a Moabite. And she says to Naomi, I will follow you wherever you go. I swear my allegiance to you and I will still be as a daughter to you even though I'm leaving my own country and going to a foreign land where I have no inheritance and I know absolutely nobody except you. So that is an example of this kind of steadfast, Love. It speaks of unconditional love, of absolute loyalty, and of lavish generosity with your love. God's steadfast love is an enduring love. It endures hardships and it continues loving. It is a non reciprocal love. It doesn't us loving him back. He still loves us even though we don't love him back. The Bible says he loved you before you loved him. It continues loving despite the cost and it continues for all eternity. God's love never ceases. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 says love hope and faith so why does faith and hope disappear because the verse says and the most important of these is love because when we're in heaven with the Lord we don't need faith because we will be looking at him face to face we don't need a hope for eternity to come because we'll be there, but love continues for all eternity. Again, God's steadfast love to us was demonstrated in the person of Jesus. You see how everything points to Jesus. Jesus willingly left his throne in heaven to die for us on this earth as a man. God's love never gives up on us. Not even when it cost him the life of his own son. Psalm 136 is a whole psalm dedicated to just singing of God's steadfast love. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. Let's just see verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Personal application time. Do you imitate God's steadfast love? Oops, clean up on L2. Alles alright, okay. Do you love even when it hurts? Do you love when the other person doesn't deserve your love? When you don't get it back? Do you continue loving despite the cost? Are you a kind person? Do you love unconditionally? Do you continue to love when people offend you or hurt you is your love loyal like God's love is loyal and does the love that you live point people to Jesus can they really say wow this is the kind of love I expect Jesus to have I can see Jesus in the way that you love Okay, only seven more pages to go. We're almost there. Hope your roasts are in the oven. Number five, faithful. Almost done. Last one. Faithful. The Hebrew word could also mean truthful, trustworthy, or stable. So God is faithful by nature, he is faithful to himself, he is faithful to his own word. I said that when I started the message. So God cannot lie, therefore he is faithful to each and every single promise that he has made in scripture. And Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption, God promised Israel redemption over a number of generations and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And Jesus himself also embodied faithfulness. As he was faithful, scripture says, he was faithful even unto death on a cross. He was faithful to the point of his own death. And even when he didn't want to go through with it, and in the garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood and he pleaded with God, let this cup Pass me by, but still, your will be done. Your will be done, not my will. The Bible is full of passages referring to the faithfulness of God. And even when our circumstances seem to totally contradict the Bible promises, We must still choose to believe that God is faithful. We will face tests of faith, but God is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Personal application. Do you imitate God's faithfulness to those around you? Are you trustworthy? Is your yes your yes and your no your no? Are you stable in your ways as you follow Jesus? And are you stable in your ways as you point others to Jesus? says in the Bible I think in Ephesians I don't have the scripture a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways tossed about tossed to and fro like a wave on the ocean and we're not called to be like that we are called to be stable and steady with our feet planted on the rock who is the rock it's Jesus Jesus just as we're called to build our house on the rock, on a solid foundation, the rock is Jesus. and We must stand stable and solid. Five easy steps, right? How difficult can that be? See, a lot of you are wiping. I was hoping it was tears, but I think it's just sweat. Um... So, Paul calls us to imitate God, but this is of utmost importance for for all of us as children of God. To imitate God. To imitate Jesus, because Jesus is the fulfillment and the embodiment of God and of all God's redemptive characteristics. When we imitate God... We hold up a mirror, and when people look at us, they will see God. But there is a key that unlocks this in our hearts. I just touched on it. It's from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Um, But let's look at the verse. It's, It's Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2 is the scripture. So let's continue to read. I read verse 1 earlier. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And verse 2 says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Love, walking in love is the key. That is why we are where we are. Love. Because God loved us. God created us in love. He sent his son Jesus in love. Jesus died in love so that we could have a relationship with God because he loves us. Love, love, love. Love, 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 love. can't say it enough. That is the key. If we truly understand the love of God, I preached about this last year in a message about the love of God if we understand the love of God, truly and we walk in it we will be merciful and compassionate we will be gracious we will be slow to anger long-suffering and patient we will be abounding in steadfast love and kindness we will be faithful, trustworthy and truthful but only if we truly walk in the love of God for for us to imitate this with our own strength is impossible we need the love of God So for those personal application points that I mentioned at each of those five characteristics, I would like you to take that home with you and go and pray about them and see what the Lord reveals to you about those five characteristics, What, what He wants to tell you or show to you, point out in your life about those five characteristics. Are you merciful? Are you gracious? Are you slow to anger? Are you abounding in love? And are you faithful, trustworthy, and steadfast? And just remember, we're all a work in progress. Nobody is perfect. God is calling us forward. On a road of sanctification, he says, be holy as I am holy. But that is a lifelong journey.